So the picture on the screen is actually a book that I read this summer, True Crimes of the Bible. And downstairs, as you exit the building, there's a little bookshelf right before you go down to the stairs to the double doors. We have all kinds of books that have been provided for you by generous congregation members. You can take them for free. There's a few copies of this if you'd like to go into a little deeper detail. It's a book by Dr. Becker, and it's a, a great read as you kind of contemplate some of these true crimes of the Bible. Tonight, we're going to get into, I guess very fittingly, the very first murder in the Bible as we look at the story of Cain and Abel. And so, you probably can guess that Cain and Abel are an example of a sibling rivalry, the very first sibling rivalry. And you might know that history is really dotted with all kinds of those sibling rivalries. And one that has caught my attention over the years is the sibling rivalry that resulted in these two shoe brands. So anybody uh, wearing any, any Adidas wearers in here? You know, probably almost 10, not 10, but like seven years ago when the University of Wisconsin was still an Adidas school before it went to Under Armour, a lot more of you might have raised your hand. I think that was like 2016. How about Puma? Any Puma wearers in here? Not too many of those. All right. Do you know what country these two shoe brands originated from? Germany is correct. They both started in the exact same city, Herzogenaurach. That's, I think, of how you say it. I could be wrong. And they actually started with the same family, the Dassler family. Yes, two brothers, Adolf and Rudolf, ran the family business for over 30 years. And during that 30 years that they ran the business, things seemed to be going pretty well. They had a shoe brand that was called Geta. G-E-D-A. It actually was so famous that Jesse Owens, if you know who that is from the 1936 Olympics, he ran in their shoes, in this company's shoes. It was shortly after that that they had a falling out. Some say their wives didn't get along very well. Others say it was just they both wanted different things for the business and they formed in the same city two shoe companies, rival shoe companies that were across the river from each other. You won't be too surprised at the word Adidas. Adolf, short for, Addy was short for Adolf, and his last name was Dassler. So the first three letters of his name and the last three letters of his first name, no, last name, first name, last name, Adidas. The second guy named his company Ruda. Rudolph named it Ruda, and then eventually it became Puma. It split an entire town. Most of the town worked for one of the two factories and it wasn't until even almost about 10 years ago that even the town sort of came together as this sibling rivalry took a toll on the whole city. But two iconic shoe brands resulted from this sibling rivalry. Maybe we could say that tonight's sibling rivalry doesn't quite turn out that well as we take a look at Genesis chapter 4 and see that Cain murders Abel. You might know that the chapter right before chapter 4 is the fall into sin and, and so it didn't take long after the fall into sin for sin to rear its ugly head in a really ugly way. As we go through this tonight, we'll walk through different parts of Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve were... Uh, after the fall into sin had these two sons, Cain and Abel, becomes apparent as you read Genesis 4 that they had other children as well. 
But Cain and Abel had a sibling rivalry, we could say. Let's listen to the setup for the original crime from Genesis chapter 4, verse 2b to 5. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offerings, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. We're never told how Cain and Abel knew that they were supposed to bring sacrifices to the Lord. The sacrificial system that God gave to the people of Israel wasn't given until Moses came along quite a few years later. But they still knew somehow that that's what they were supposed to do. And as they gave their offerings, it became apparent to them, again, we're not told how, that God favored the, the offerings of Abel, he brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock, but he wasn't so happy with Cain's sacrifice. Again, we're not told how the boys knew that one was acceptable and the other wasn't, but the New Testament certainly shed some light on the why. In 1 John chapter 3, we're told that Cain was from the evil one. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of the Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. And then a couple of verses later, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can draw conclusions from that, that Abel brought his offerings from a heart of faith while Cain did not. And so Cain was jealous. And that, that jealousy blossomed into hatred for Abel. And ultimately, that, that hatred and the anger that he had for Abel led to what we're about to read. The verses we didn't read that are in between this and the murder, it's kind of interesting because God comes to Cain and says to him, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you, but you must not let it. You must master it. That idea of sin crouching at its door, I, I thought maybe I'd just show you a picture that might describe it a little bit. I don't know how you feel about cats. They scare me. Because it seems like they're always kind of waiting. Waiting to do something evil. Maybe your ear cats aren't like that. But have you seen them? Like all coiled up, ready to spring into action, pounce on something or someone? That's the picture that God is giving us here. That's sin. Sin is waiting for just a little bit of an opening. It's waiting just for that crack to be able to exploit you or me. It's crouching at our doors. Can you think of some of the ways that God warns us? Maybe he doesn't come directly to you and me and say, sin is crouching at your door. But maybe as you read and hear his word, there are things that you recognize, yeah, that's not right in my life. Or maybe it's a friend. A parent who says to you, be careful. Be careful about that thought or that attitude or that behavior that is tripping you up. Maybe God simply comes to you through your conscience as he reminds you that you're not right with him. Not everything is right in our world as we stand before God. Those words, sin is crouching at your door, are a warning for us. We must master it, God says. But if you hear those words, maybe your reaction is like mine. How? How are we supposed to master sin? We're not strong enough to fight sin on our own. 
That's where the cross of Jesus comes in. That's where sin was already mastered. It was already mastered when Jesus took your place. And now our mastery of sin is given to us by Jesus. It leads us to repent of those sins, to live for a Savior who already died for us. Let's take a look at what happens in the story with Cain and Abel. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain did not master the sin that was crouching at his door. As a matter of fact, it seems like he didn't listen to God's warning at all. Do you get the sense from those three verses that there was some premeditation to what Cain did? Let's go out to the field, he says. I got to show you something special, Abel. I don't know what he said, but somehow he got him out to the field and when they were there, he attacks him and kills him. This account is a little short on details, details that we might like to know. The Bible doesn't tell us how. God does say that Abel's blood was crying out to him from the ground, so maybe like the picture on the screen shows, he hit him with something we're not told. But we know that he attacked him. We know that Abel died. And then we hear God's question to Cain. Where is your brother Abel? Do you see God's grace in that question? God wasn't looking for information. He knew exactly where Abel was. But he's giving Cain a chance to come clean, a chance to repent, a chance to say, I didn't do what you told me to do, God. And don't we see the hardness of Cain's heart? When he simply says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't, I don't know where he is. Like assuming that he could pull one over on God. But he couldn't. Let's take a look at the aftermath of the murder. Now you are under a curse, God said, and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The one way Cain knew how to make a living was by farming, by letting the ground produce crops for him. But the curse that God gave him meant that that would no longer be possible for him. God tells him he's going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Yes, there's judgment in God's curse. There's, there's a harshness to that curse. But do you again see that God's trying to get Cain's attention? And it works. If you go into the following verses, Cain says, it's too much. My punishment is too much for me to bear. There are going to be people who want to get revenge on me. And then God is gracious one more time. The NIV text translates it this way, that God gives Cain a mark so that no one would do anything to gain revenge against him. The original Hebrew word that, that is translated mark in the NIV means sign. And so there's some debate among biblical scholars, which side of this is it? Is it something actually physical on the body of Cain that other people could recognize and say we're not supposed to get revenge? Or was it a sign that God gave Cain that he could do, perform a miracle of some sort so that other people knew? In the end, it doesn't matter. It was God's gracious way of giving Cain more time. We don't know a lot about the rest of Cain's life. 
But before we're too harsh in judging him, the first murderer in the pages of Scripture, maybe we could ask ourselves this question tonight. Are we, are we capable of murder? I'm guessing all of you sitting here tonight are going to say to that question, no, I hope not. But I would guess that most murderers in our world today would say the exact same thing before those things ever happened to them. And yet, I think you know that the Bible already has called you and me murderers. First John tells us this, whoever hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Just hate in our hearts, just anger in our hearts is the same thing to God as committing an outright murder. And yet God doesn't banish us. He doesn't make us restless wanderers on the earth. It's mercy that God shows us every single day. It's mercy because God has given us a sign, all kinds of them actually, to demonstrate to you and to me that we have forgiveness, that there's nothing that we need to fear between us and God because it's been taken away. The cross of Jesus looms over your life and mine to remind us that every sin is forgiven. The tomb of Jesus that's empty reminds us that Jesus paid for our sins in full and his resurrection guarantees our own. I think about the baptismal font by which God has made us his own children, calls us as members of his family. The bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper by which God reminds us that Jesus gave his very body and blood to save us. Yes, God has given us those signs to remind us that we have not a home apart from him, but a home with him forever in heaven. A couple of takeaways from our devotion today. Number one, sin often crouches at our doors. Listen to God's warnings. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter describes the devil this way. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We never want to think that we're standing so firm that we can't ever fall. Then number two is very important. God has placed his seal on us and claims us as his children all through Jesus. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says this, that he has redeemed us, we are his, he knows us by name. It's kind of amazing, isn't it, to think about that God knows you by name, that he has called you his own sons and daughters? It got me to thinking about watching Toy Story. How many, do we have some Toy Story fans in here? Most people have probably seen the movie. Do you remember when Andy is lost? Or not Andy, Woody, the sheriff, is lost and he looks at the bottom of his shoe to see the name Andy, the, pers the person to whom he belongs, the one who will welcome him home if he could find his way back. That's God. God has placed his name on you as his redeemed child, as a son or daughter of the king. And he's waiting to welcome you and me home to him in the perfect existence of eternity with him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessings that you shower on us every single day. We thank you that you have removed the sin that stands between you and us by sending your son Jesus to take our place. In spite of that sin, Lord, you see us as holy and righteous in the blood of Jesus. You call us your own children. 
and you assure us of our place with you forever in heaven. Comfort us daily in that knowledge that, that you have called us sons and daughters and guide us to the eternal life which you have won for us. Continue to watch over the students as they face the challenges of school and work and all the other things that are involved in being here in Madison for college. We ask you to continue to give them your blessings of, of knowing that your presence will always sustain them and that you are guiding them to life with you forever. We pray all of these things in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen.